The wages of sin is death. Okay, so the wages of sin is death. All men die. I mean, did you ever meet a a thousand-year-old person? I mean, really? Religions say good men go to heaven. How does a good man go to heaven when all men die? Where Where are the good men? Where are the good women? Where are the good people? Hello, I'm Joe Durso. I'm your host for the program, and I'll be speaking the message in just a few minutes. If you want to contact me, if you need to talk or need some counsel about the Christian faith, about Jesus Christ, about something you heard in this message, feel free to contact me. You can contact me on godlyincrease.org. Go to my contact information, leave a message, something you need to talk about. I'll be fine to either email you back or uh, if you leave your phone number to call, give you a call. And this is about counseling and uh, any needs you might have regarding the Christian faith. Okay, so now for the upcoming message. Lord bless. Dear Heavenly Father, I would ask that as we proceed with this lesson from Romans chapter 3, that uh, you would anoint your servant, Allow these words to bring life to dead people. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the author of life, and you grant life in creation and in salvation. You are a God of love and of goodness and truth. May the truth be known here. Take your servant out of the way so that we can see Jesus, so that we can see true religion, not the religion of men, but the truth of God. I ask these things for those who listen, and I ask for your honor and your glory, and for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. As we concluded the lesson last week, we concluded with verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Now that's a huge difference between a religion being a a religion of letter, so to speak, of ordinances and rules and the keeping of things in an outward, superficial way. Going through the motions, but without any clear inward or sincere inward reality. That's the the point that he makes as he concludes chapter 2. A Jew is not one outwardly, you know, circumcision was uh, something instituted which was not only good for men, it's done within a certain time period and it it prevents uh, infection and all of that. But apart from that, there was this ordinance to separate a Jew from a Gentile and to make a distinction between those whom God was separating from those who were not separated, who was uh, making a distinction between sinner and saved, between righteous and wicked. 
And but he's making this very clear point here in verse 28 that the Jews, the Jew, not outwardly through ordinances, but through inward change. The Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, a separation to God from the heart by the spirit, not the letter. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit, Jesus said, and in truth. And in his praise is not from men, but from God, not not a, a man-made religion, but the true religion, the religion that is from God. So then as we move on, I want to look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 today. Begin there. What then are we as Jews, Paul was a distinctly a Jew, which he, he tells in other epistles and here, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged, this is the conclusion, that both Jews, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. Everybody's condemned. Everyone is guilty before God. That's the conclusion that he, we, he comes to in between chapters 1 and chapter 2. What then are we better than they? So there's only two kinds of people in the world so far as the Bible is concerned, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's those called out from the world, and there's the world. They all start the same way, and then God calls people out. As a nation, he made a nation, but not everyone in that nation is a true Jew, because he's talking about Jew from the standpoint of what's going on inside. There are people separated to God for his purpose and pleasure. And those alienated from God. Paul spent the majority of chapters 2 and part of 3 explaining the guilt of both Jew and Gentile. The Gentile was given the law and the word of God, and the Jew became more responsible because of God's law. The Gentile becomes a law to himself because he knows right from wrong, because he has a conscience, and that judges, he judges by judging others, he, he shows that he knows right from wrong. His conscience bears witness to the law of God written in the heart. The Jew was enlightened to know what God expects and, dis- and disobeys anyway. This is not a new revelation, because he goes on and he says, as it is written. And then he quotes different passages from the Old Testament as he goes through each, we're going to go through today, each line which reveals just the heart of men. And he says in verse 10, there is no righteous person, not even one. Well, that kind of narrows it down. There's no righteous person, not even one. There's Jesus who was born of a virgin, proving that he was born of God, and he was God's son, even putting on humanity by being born through a woman. But he's not included in that. He's a man, yes, but he was long before, eternally before humanity began. He's the author of life, the creator of everything. In many passages, in many passages including Hebrews and so on, There is no righteous person, not even one. I have not come to call the righteous, Jesus said, but sinners to repentance. He calls sinners. There are no righteous. No matter what you choose to believe, 
about heaven and hell, eternity, creation, life, death, God, science, or anything else. Here's the, here's the point. If you do not agree with God's revealed will in the Bible, you're not right. You're wrong. Now, I know that's hard to hear from a man, but this isn't really me about me. This isn't about the speaker right now. This is about what God says in his word. There either is a God or there isn't. There's either a true God, there's many false gods. It is arrogant to think otherwise that I'm right and the word of God is, is wrong. If you don't know much about the word of God, it's a miracle book anyway. It's uncontradicting. It's made of 40 authors, three different languages, over 1,200 years to write. It's, it's an impossible book. It's all consistent with itself. If you haven't studied it, as I have and many men have, you need to study it before you can criticize it. And I don't mean just read it. Have you always been? Are you eternal? Do you know everything? Are you the author of everything living? No. Do you really want to question God or even doubt his existence? If you're one of those who doubts, listen to this following message carefully. The one who came first is right, and we're all latecomers, so to speak. If we do not pay proper homage to the one that gave us life and his purpose for living, we're just crashing the party. We're among those who do not belong, and we all begin just that way. We have a beginning date. When a a little child asks a person, his father, his daddy, his mother, Where did everything come from? Well, we we have nothing to say but God. The question here now is, which God? What God? Is there a God? There is no one who understands, is verse 11. There is no one who understands. We begin there. We begin as babies. We, We get that. And as infants, what do you know? I mean, it's ga-ga, goo-goo, you know, sort of reaching out, touching things, start to discover the world. We grow up, and by the time we got to manhood, we're so rock-solid that we know everything, and now we can't be told anything by anybody else. Just don't, don't talk to me. I, I got it. Where did you get it? How did you get it? How did you come to know what you know? The Bible talks about faith. Apart from faith which is to say we hold God's word in higher regard than our own thoughts and beliefs, we cannot understand anything. That's a biblical reality. Godly understanding must come from divinely given interpretation to what he inspired in his word. Without divine revelation, we can know nothing about God. Without knowing him, we cannot know the things he teaches in his word. Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. And he's saying this to his apostles, 12 men he brings around him to get close. They live together for three years. Everything he does, everything he says, all the people he interacts with, they're watching all of this. And to these men, he says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, because all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
Something new was happening. God is the creator of God. Man goes his own way, falls in the garden. Adam and Eve, if you know the story, give heed to the devil that indwells a serpent. Every curse comes upon the man, the woman, the serpent, the devil. It's already cursed, already cast out of heaven. All of this is going on, and in this, there, this slavery materializes. Slavery to sin, which is the worst slavery of all. Man brings other men into slavery, but all men are slaves already. Before the man does evil things to one another, which is the history of the world, wars, killing, death, mayhem, all of the evil that goes on all the time, the list is very long, very disgusting. But that's life on planet Earth. And the reason is right here in this picture of slavery. The slavery to sin, which as Paul goes on, he's going to enumerate on it immensely in the the following chapters, in 6 especially, in 7. But Jesus comes to these, and he speaks to these men, and he says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master's doing. They're with the master. He is the Lord God of creation, and he's speaking to the man to man, and he's calling them now friends. And he's telling them what the Father is doing. The personal friends of Jesus understand themselves to be his slaves. The slave obeys his master willingly because he knows he's loved by his master. And if there's one thing a true Christian, true believer knows, has come to know, is that God loves him in the person of Christ. In the reality of the word of God, and not some man-made religion, not some false Christianity, but the real thing. The divine master is rightfully the owner of all things, and his friends understand and accept him as master. There is no one who seeks out God, verse 11. This is the reality of the guilt of sin and the slavery of sin. There is no one who seeks out God. The human condition is the most significant deception in the world. Religious people are the most deceived of all. The world's religions allow people to think they believe in God, when in reality, they don't. And the Bible says so. There is no one who seeks God. I mean, that's as clear as you're going to get. And still people are going to twist it and make it say something else. But that's the, the deception that we do as sinners. Do you want to know how to identify a lie? I'm going to give you this right now. Excuse me. Follow the contradictions. Inconsistency is the father of lies. In the movie A Few Good Men, you got a very famous movie. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you did. Tom Cruise, the defense attorney. Jack Nicholson, the colonel. Cruise asked the colonel, was William Santiago scheduled to be transferred off the base? William Santiago is the, the person who's dead, and they want to find their, not the trial is a, who, who did it. When asked why, the colonel says he felt his life was in danger. The colonel said William Santiago was scheduled to be transferred off the base. Why? Well, because he felt, I felt his life was in danger. Cruz says, grave danger? Nicholson, is there any other kind 
Cruz, is there any chance your order was ignored? Now, this is big. Nicholson's really hot by this time, and Nicholson spares no words to make it clear that his orders are always obeyed. He then asks Cruz, are we clear? Cruz humbly responds by saying, Crystal. Then Cruz says, I have one more question for you. If your orders are always followed, then why would he need to be transferred off the base? Follow the contradiction. If you say your orders are always obeyed, but you had him transferred off the base because he was in grave danger, how does that fit? It doesn't work. Because the colonel contradicted himself, Tom Cruise caught him in a lie. Okay, so all we have to do now is follow the contradictions. All the religions of the world contradict the truth and reality in which we all live. Sickness and death are all the result of sin and evil. The Bible declares it. Only the Bible declares the the undeniable truth. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so the wages of sin is death. All men die. I mean, did you ever meet a a thousand-year-old person? I mean, really? Religions say good men go to heaven. How does a good man go to heaven when all men die? Where Where are the good men? Where are the good women? Where are the good people? False religions, false prophets, false religious leaders twist the truth a thousand different ways, literally. And some are incredibly good at it. I mean, subtle in the way they tell their lies. I mean, I've sat down with religious leaders that try to convince me that they have saving faith, and then they say they, that their good works are going to get them to heaven. No, but I don't really mean that. You know? And they twist it in Whoops. Stop. Just stop. False teachers convince their hearers that by being good they can please God. But the Bible declares something completely different. That faith alone and Christ alone, by, that, by those alone can men be saved. And the faith does not save because the faith itself is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Can, what could be more clear than that? For by grace, grace is not earned. Grace is something given distinctly by definition. Grace is something given you don't deserve. You are saved through faith. The grace is given. The faith is exercised, but it's all a gift. And, and people become saved that way. All through the Bible, the message is the same. Whether it's a lamb being slain, picturing the coming Jesus, or the New Testament declaring clearly it's a, all about a gift, it's all a gift. Only the Bible declares that by faith alone in Christ alone can men receive eternal life. Men do not know God, therefore in their hearts we all are evil. And the wages of sin, that evil, is death. Men declare they believe in God, but then they serve gods of their own making. John Calvin said, man is an idol factory. All men from birth are idolaters. That is not the way God wants us to live. Verse 12, they have all turned aside. 
Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And then he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The false teachers will lead you to hell. The false way isn't the way of living in the bar. I mean, we're all prone to all kinds of sin, and we're looking at it now. The way that will lead you to hell faster than anything else is believing you actually believe God when you don't. When you actually believe the Bible when you don't. Follow the contradictions. Follow the inconsistency. You think you're good? The Bible's saying something different in Romans 3. Now going in verse 12, together they have become corrupt. God is saying this. I'm not saying this. This was written uh, 2,000 years ago. Together they have become corrupt. Corrupt in the Greek is useless, good for nothing, unprofitable. Like everything that is good for nothing, it is thrown into the garbage. Gehenna is the word that the Bible uses, Jesus used for, for hell. Gehenna is a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It burns constantly. It didn't in Old Testament times. In ancient times, it was the site where babies were sacrificed for the, for the fault to the false god Baal. It is a pictured by Christ and the Bible as hell fire where sinners are tossed away like the garbage we all are as we're born into this, into this race we call humanity that comes from the first man, Adam. And just like him in the way he chose to sin, when we get to that age where we make our own choices, we all do the same thing. We're all part of one people. Can't escape it. Verse 12 goes on, There is no one who does good. There is not even one. No one who does good. Now, the term good is very deceptive in the mind of those lost. The condition of the loss is to see things through rose-colored glasses. To be good in the sight of God means to be wholly good or completely good. Motives are included in doing good. The good that we do, is it for God's glory and with only Him in mind, or is it without Him in mind at all? Is it just for our own glory to feel good about ourselves? People go around the world doing all kinds of charitable things. These are good people. Well, they're they're doing good things, no doubt. And it's not for me or any person to decipher or discern man's heart. God looks at, man looks at the outward appearance. Only God can look at the heart. We can see fruit. We can see evidences of repentance and faith and salvation. But we also see good works all the time. But we don't see the heart and from where those works come. Are they coming for the purpose of pleasing God and praising God? That's another matter. Their throat, verse 13, is an open grave. Oh boy. Now an open grave has the stench of death coming from it. Death is separation from God. To be separated from God is to be separated from the one that is life. He's the eternal life. He's from eternity. He's always been. It's the only thing that makes sense. How? Where did creation come from? A big bang, really? Nothing creates nothing. We all, we, I mean, just common sense, just reason. My father understood that. He wasn't a very educated man, but he was a very wise man. 
He got saved when he was 62. Very religious up to that point, but very lost. When we do things with only ourself in mind, we live with the motive of satisfying that which is without eternal meaning. Because apart from God, we are only temporary. Now, we are eternal because God has decided to make us eternal, but without an eternal beginning. We're just going to continue on in one way or another, in one place or another. Believe me, you don't want to be in the bad place. You want to be in the good place, the good place with Jesus. We are fitted for destruction because we live for that which owes God everything, and we don't recognize God for anything. Maybe not, maybe in our words, maybe in our church attendance, but apart from repentance and salvation, we don't recognize God in our heart. That's what the Bible says. With their tongues, this is everybody, for all have sinned. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. They keep deceiving. Deceiving, properly spoken, is to lure, using a bait to pull someone in, to deceive, preying on people who are blinded, but that by their own bitterness, greed, or, li- or lust. I'm looking into the Greek now. That's what it is to be deceived. We deceive ourselves. In the, in the film of the, the Flim Flam Man, George C. Scott, back in the 50s, he takes advantage of dishonest people. He preys on people who have this, 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 this deceptive nature who are greedy in themselves. It is much easier to deceive a deceiver. You know, the one guy is buying, selling him tickets and he's making a deal and the guy thinks he's actually robbing the guy who's robbing him and he takes off running with the money thinking he's got a, a wad of money and he's only got ones, he thinks he's got hundreds. And, he, and what happens, he, he took more money and, and that's the way it works out. Racketeers make a racket of taking advantage of others. And in, in honesty, we all, to one degree or another, are dishonest. And in our dishonesty, we deceive ourselves and others. We deceive ourselves about who we are, first of all, and about who we want other people to think we are and believe. We always want the people to believe the best about us. Who do we look at when we look at a picture first? Don't we look at ourselves in the picture first? We're certainly not looking for God in the picture. He's not there. But if Jesus was, we'd be looking at ourselves first. He goes on and in uh, verse in this verse and says the venom of asps is under their lips venom is a substance that kills or paralyzes it paralyzes to make the kill easier it's a very nasty picture that god uses to accurately assess the condition of man the venom of asps is under their lips first and foremost false prophets but everyone i mean think about it gossip it's such a poison. It tells a lie about someone in order, to, in order to distort the picture, in order to make them look bad. There are magazines that turn gossip into a multi-million dollar business, and the public loves it. What does that say about our culture and humanity? Do I need to say more? Verse 14. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Do I really need to say anything here? You know, there was a time when cursing was not allowed on television. I mean, at all. It's still kind of limited. But now we do broadcast cursing around the world. Cursing is the revelation that bitterness lies within the human heart. Their mouth is full of cursing 
and bitterness. The reason for the bitterness is the reality that we're all going to die. We're all afraid of death. We're all facing death. We're all counting down the time, and we all know it, even though we don't want to think about it. But it's a reality, and it makes us bitter and full full of cursing. Some of the words are hidden, but the, the evil's in the heart, whether we say the words or not. Their feet are swift, verse 15, to shed blood. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Our feet are swift because our hearts are evil. We're willing to take what we want and we'll do it any, anything to get our way. And this doesn't have to be violence. There's violence with our mouth. There's violence within marriage. There's all kinds of violence. The worst kind is the bloody kind. And the world is filled with blood. God placed governments and police in our, in our way to hinder evil. Otherwise, we would be far in more horrible condition and far more, much more horrible than we are. Any peace on earth is a false reality because evil, it lives in the hearts of men and women. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their path. Destruction and misery are in their path. A man can stand still for a moment, look calm, good, even charitable. However, he is a deception because whether he knows it or not, the direction he takes is always without the true God in mind. His path will always lead to misery and destruction because he has no mind for God. Some will say to me, well, define misery and destruction because I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing a whole lot like that I'm creating or what are you talking about? Ultimately, I can say it in a word, hell. Because we don't feel it, because we don't visualize, you know, stabbing or killing. Well, I can't tell you how many people in my life I've asked, and they say to me, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, why should God allow you to get into heaven? I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't killed anybody. You know, words always come out. It's just like it's natural. It's just like breathing. How do I know men are worthy to go to hell because... When given the chance, after God became a man, healed a nation of diseases, deformities, and demon possessions, we nailed them to a piece of wood. I mean, you want something more picturesque than that? Just look at Jesus nailed to a cross, unrighteously, unjustly condemned, whipped, beaten within an inch of his life. He would have continued to live because he wouldn't have died naturally because he was not a sinful man. He had to have his life taken, and actually no one took it. He gave it up willingly because he loved men. How do I know men are worthy to go to hell? Look at Jesus. Just sit under the shadow of the cross. Dwell on it. Dwell on the fact that he didn't just suffer physical death, but he died under the wrath of a father that he loved in eternity. That's how the the Trinity is pictured. God is pictured in a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three divine persons in one God. You can't make sense of it. If you could make sense of it, it wouldn't be God. But this is the divine Trinity. And in that Trinity, there has always been love. Because there's three persons loving perfectly one another. So the, the, the Son doesn't just love like we love in eternity. He loves with perfection. No improper motives, no pride, undue pride, understanding who he is, that he's God, 
and in total humility giving all the glory to the Father, which is exactly what happens at the cross. The Father exalts the Son by putting him to death, so in all eternity, all the hearts of all the people who are saved from all their wickedness will give him honor and glory and praise and will want nothing else but to be righteous. They will be slaves to righteousness rather than slaves to sin. They have been delivered. And all of this because the love of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is poured out into the lives of people worthy of hell, which we don't believe. You know, I'm saying these things, I'm quoting scripture, I'm giving God's description of hell and sin and the reason for hell because of sin. And, and many people will probably no doubt hear this and just turn a deaf ear. As sad as that is. Verse 17. And they have not known the way of peace. There is peace with one another, but somewhere in the world there is always a lack of peace going on. But their disputes and violence are going on all over the world. Minutes before giving this message, I heard that someone was shot and killed in front of a church in Maryland. What does the scripture say? But the wicked are like the troubled sea, for it cannot rest, and its waters cast up mire and dirt, Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, for it cannot rest. And its waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace there. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to find some peace in your heart? You want to find some rest from the distress and the anxiety of a world at war. Do you know, have you ever experienced the peace that comes from humility? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's meek and he's lowly in heart. And you'll find rest from your souls. You can't be, find that rest in a self-made humility you need a humility that comes through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A humility that's real and eternal and it's found in the heart of the infinite and perfect God. That's real peace. That's coming to peace with Him and being given peace that is His peace that He shares with us. To learn of Jesus is to learn the way of humility and a humility that is not our own. It becomes ours. Not through deception, a false humility, but the real thing. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18. How can any man say he believes in God when he will not admit he does not even fear God? God had Paul write these words. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who? Well, the Bible says, for all have sinned. I ask you, my listeners, from birth, 
Has there been a natural, inherent fear of God before your eyes? Before you answer, think. Do you want, do you even know that God has said? Do you do, you do what you want, even though God has said, you shall not? Thou shalt not. Have you ever lied? You ever steal anything? Ever lusted? Ever lusted after the other sex? Become sinfully angry or or holding unforgiveness for a time? Have you committed idolatry by, by making anything other than God more important, even briefly? Have you come to realize that these are sins and these things are wrong. As your conscience spoke to you, conscience given by God, is there anything more important than God? Have you done so with the fear of God? I mean, how can we disobey God and say we believe in God or say that we have a fear of God? How is that possible? See, we're back to the the contradictions again, the inconsistencies. Do we believe in hell? I mean, do we even believe in hell? If you don't believe in hell, how can you fear hell? How can you disobey God and fear him at the same time? We're back to Santiago and and the colonel. What are you talking about? Are you consistent in what you're saying and what you say you believe and what you think? As Paul concludes his thoughts about the depravity of sinful men, he goes on and says a few things at the end of chapter 3. And he begins, this is beginning verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's starting to get get into an area where he's going to elaborate further down the chapters. But right here, he's making it real clear. Under the works of the law, you're not getting into heaven. So whatever your belief is, whatever your religion is, if you have one, your your religious religion, if if that religion is telling you that, well, I believe in it, I'm getting to heaven by faith. But at the end of that, you're saying, yeah, I got to work. Understand that verse 20, when it says, because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All it's saying is you can't get into heaven. That's why justification has to be by faith alone. Because the person who says he's being justified by faith and he's carrying works in with him, is going to have a bad day on the day of judgment. Really bad day. Because many are going to come to him in that day and they're going to say, haven't I done many wonderful works in your name? Haven't I confessed Jesus as my Savior? Haven't I done many good works and cast out demons and all of this? And Jesus is going to say to him, I never knew you. Depart from you, me from, for, for the, to that place that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because they're trying to get in with works and faith. And the Bible says it's not going to happen. By the works of the law, no man will be justified. And then he goes on 21 to 26. He says, but now apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God has been revealed. We're not talking about men now. We're talking about the righteousness of God being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Why? Because the law and the prophets pointed to Christ. And that's what exactly what Jesus said on the Emmaus Road. I mean, all of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, which is what Jesus preached out of, they all point to Christ. But it is the righteousness of God through faith. The righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness of God through faith, verse 22, in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. No distinction. This isn't talking about people, groups. This isn't talking, there's no racism here. This is about all of sin, and it's for everybody. Anyone can come from any people group, and people from all people groups will come, even though it's few, because the way is broad that leads to destruction. I hope none of my hearers are one of those people. I really do. And if you are one of those people right now, I pray that you will come to Christ. And there's no distinction. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you believe. Nothing matters. We're all sinners. That's the point. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, how good you are when compared to people around you. That does not matter. What matters is all fall short. It doesn't matter if you try to jump 500 feet, if you miss it by 499 feet or by a foot. Okay, it doesn't matter. You go to hell. Fact is, in the lifetime of a person who committed just three sins a day, if he had lived 70 years, he would have committed 70,000 sins. So you're not falling, you're falling short, okay, really short. But it doesn't matter if in your own mind, you're not falling really short. Doesn't matter. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We're, we're back to being justified as a gift by his grace. Verse 24, through the redemption being bought back which is in Christ. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a sacrifice in his blood through faith. It's about faith in the grace of God, in the love of God, in the sacrifice that Christ made. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness. How did that happen? Because in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. What's that mean? That means it took 4,000 years before God dealt with sin. Because for 4,000 years, years, men were sinning. And God was restraining himself from all the people whom he saved during that time. And the people, even now, they're not cast immediately into hell. They deserve hell. But for that 4,000 years, people actually went to paradise. They didn't go to heaven. God hadn't paid the price yet. Christ hadn't hung on the cross yet. He hadn't experienced the wrath of God yet. It was coming. God knew it was coming. God's not bound by time. All the plan is his. All the works being done are under his sovereignty. It's coming. He knew it was coming. And when it came, it was dealt with in time. God forgave sins. And then he's shown as righteous. He dealt with sin. This is the righteousness of God. God dealing with sin. What's the purpose of the letter? 
the righteousness of God. Go back to listen to one, uh, one and, and chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, and, and read about the purpose of the book. It's to declare the righteousness of God. He's made righteous by dealing with sin. Verse 26, for the demonstration, that is, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. The one who has faith in Jesus is justified through that faith in Jesus, that Jesus carried those sins away. He will remember them no more. They are as far as the east is from the west because he bore the penalty for those sins when he hung on the cross. Do you love God because of what he did in the person of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to place all your faith and all your trust on him, repenting from your sins? Repentance has to be a part of this transaction. This is not about a creed. It's not believing in the things I'm talking about right now in the quoting of Scripture, <clears throat> as if that belief had nothing that's going to grow out of it. Right now, what's growing out of it has to be, if you're going to be saved, is faith. Just faith that no works attached to your life are going to get you into heaven. Only the act of faith that Jesus did everything to forgive you all sin. I mean all sin. The sin past, the sin that will soon be present, and the sin that will be future, because we're not made perfect this side of heaven. You realize that only perfect people get into heaven. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus said. How's that happen? Well, you're made perfect by faith. Because you see, when the Father sees the person who's put his faith and trust in Jesus... Not faith in his good works, not even faith in the works that will be produced later by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, in our hearts and in our lives. Those works do not get us into heaven as if we needed those works now to believe. No. No, right now we're believing as sinful people. Jesus died while we were yet sinners, Romans chapter 5 says. While we were yet, are you a sinner right now? You can be saved right now by understanding that faith in Christ, in Christ's sacrifice on the cross, will save you. That's the faith that saves in Christ alone. Repentance will cause you to turn away from your sin. And what that is, is the evidence is that faith was real. That that faith, in fact, was in Christ alone and not in yourself. Not in your repentance that will come, but in Christ alone who will affect the change in your heart. Who will give you a new heart so that you can say with those who are saved, I am a new creation in Christ. All things are passing away. All things are becoming new by the power of God. If that's your faith, if that's your belief, Put your faith in that and things will change and God will make himself known to you. The Bible will become clear to you. You will begin to love God. You will begin to have a testimony of God in your life. You will begin to see God working in many wonderful ways. But the biggest one of all is in your heart, in your mind, how you think, the motives of your life, 
how you love God and how you love Christ and how you love others in the midst of battling with sin. And the sin being present is an evidence with the battle that will go on in your heart and in your mind that you love God and that you trust in Him and you persevere through life even though the sin is not done away with completely, even though it's getting less, even though it seems more. These are lessons yet to come in the Scriptures today. Put your faith in Christ alone for your sake and for God's glory and because you love Jesus. Dear Lord, I ask and I thank you for this time spent sharing the Word of God. I pray, Lord, for listeners. I pray that those who listen would listen with a heart that's open to trust in God that the, He is righteous that all of this complicated world that we we live in, with all its philosophies and its thinking and its courtrooms and its reasonings and its conscience, all of humanity, understand that it's all for naught. It's all for nothing apart from Christ. It's all leading to hell. But in Jesus, there's life, eternal life. There's salvation not only from the punishment and penalty of sin, but from sin itself. Setting men free to really live righteous life, to fulfill the law, not by some works manufactured in themselves, but fulfill the law by the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in this temple, in this body, so that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives in our hearts and in our minds, and makes it personal. Apart from that, no one will be saved. It's all a lie. It's all a deception. God, take the deceptive hearts, any mind, any person who's listening to this, and make it a sincere heart, a heart saved by the grace of God. I ask these things for your honor and for your glory and your pleasure. In Jesus' name.